Welcome back, everybody. It's CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition. It feels weird. We took a week off, which is something we don't normally do. So uh, for Nick, myself, and Xavier, it, we were talking about it before the show. It feels like we just all came off vacation, which none of us actually really got. Well, Nick had a little vacation, but, uh, you know, it, it just feels weird because we skipped a week. But today on the show, we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, how CFP is not going to expand uh, the playoffs. We got some coaching news. We have a little bit of action, the transfer portal, uh, stuff like that. So um, you remember, you can follow us all on Twitter, myself at Bogman Sports. Nicholas Ian Allen, the own, owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge. Follow him on Twitter at CFP Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. But uh, let's just dive right in here, Nick, and talk about um, the fact that the playoff is not going to expand for at least the next four years. That was kind of what it came down to, which I kind of, you know, I, I don't feel like anything is ever really set in stone as far as this. So they say they're not going to expand it for the next four years. I don't know, man. You know, if, if something happened with money where they needed a little bit more of it, I could see it, it expanded before the end of this season. Like, you know, uh, the the almighty dollar rules everything around us. So, uh, but that is at least the news for now. So what did you think about this? And um, I don't know. I feel like we haven't talked too much about ex uh, playoff expansion with you. So I just don't know how much you actually really care about this. <laughs> yeah, it's um, that's that's sort of where I am. Like, I know it's the big topic right now. And part of that might be that we're in the offseason. Uh, part of it might be that it's been a story that's kind of been dragging on for months. You know, there was uh, there were discussions about potentially, um, you know, uh, expanding. And then there was a proposal that came out. Uh, specifically expanding, you know, to 12 teams. And so that's been a lot of the conversation. And, and it seemed like there was a lot of momentum behind that for uh, a few months. And then the, you know, conference realignment stuff happened. And that kind of apparently, you know, jostled some uh, folks' priorities. And, and sort of as they're discussing different options, it seems like uh, there are a few different hangups, but one that is, I think, a little interesting to me is, uh, it, you know, some of the talks uh, that that a couple of the conference commissioners apparently uh, were really, you know, focused on, will there be automatic qualifiers for conference champions? And, you know, I know there are some folks out there, diehard college football fans who care a lot about, you know, yes, the playoff should expand immediately and, and you know, College football needs to get in line with other sports or even other, uh, you know, divisions in college football. And then there are people just as adamant, if not more so, on the other side saying, you know, four is the right number. You know, stay at four. We, we shouldn't expand because it'll water down the uh, regular season. And college football is, you know, the greatest sport because of its regular season, because the stakes are so high week to week. And by letting, you know, 12 teams or letting a conference champion automatically get in if they're nine and three or, or whatever, just sort of is going to uh, maybe, you know, potentially ruin the regular season, what a lot of people you know, think of as the, the greatest regular season in uh, sports. So this particular part is kind of interesting to me because I think I'm, I'm a little bit different 
than a lot of the folks that I you know, pay attention to or, you know, who, who do some similar work to, to what we do. A lot of the analytics-based folks uh, seem to be on the side of, um, you know, expansion maybe, but also, you know, best over most deserving, that we need to get the best four teams, uh, not necessarily, you know, that, that winning on the field is, is the most important thing. But I'm kind of on the the other end of that where I actually do think, you know, why not play the games or, or excuse me, why are we playing the games if, if that's not going to be the most important thing? So I do kind of fall on the side of, of uh, most deserving where, you know, you, you play the schedule that you've got and if you win, uh, you know, beat a, a particular opponent that you know, you should get a little bit of a boost over that particular team when it comes to deciding who's worthy and whatnot. And I actually think, you know, it, as silly as I sometimes, or, so, you know, some people might think this is silly. I actually think the conference championship is a pretty good, uh, you know, hey, you're, you're playing for this thing. You're playing for this trophy. And these group of conferences have a, you know, tournament, uh, have a playoff decide, uh, to decide the national champion. So I kind of personally like the idea of, of an automatic qualification uh, where, yeah, you know, you, you have this important goal that you're trying to reach in order to get into uh, the playoff. You know, I, I kind of like it. So I, I think actually um, that if and when this expands to 12, whether it's in 2025 or, you know, uh, before or after, however, it all totally shakes out. I kind of like that. I'm not super passionate about it. Um, but I, I do think that it makes a, you know, a decent amount of sense, at least to me. Um, but overall, I don't have super strong opinions one way or the other. I like four. I like, I would like 12. I was fine when, you know, we had the BCS, uh, wasn't necessarily maybe the, the very best. I, I, I was at certain points, getting excited when there was more talk about the the playoff and expanding, but I was a college football fan even before the BCS was a thing. And, you know, you had the, the big, uh, big 10 champ and the PAC 12 champ playing in the Rose bowl, no matter what. And and you might have a number one team there. You might have the number two team in the sugar bowl. You might have the number three and and it all kind of was, was even weirder than it sometimes feels now. So I will, you know, be fine. I think one way or the other, I'm, I'm not passionate enough one way to, to say, Oh, this is going to, you know, make me stop doing the work I do or make me not care about college football or, or anything. I, Oh I my God, you don't have a black and white take Nick. That's, <laughs> there are, that's strange. There are some folks out there and age. Well, there are some folks out there who say, Oh, the, you know, if we expand to 12, I'm, I'm done. I, then, then that, that's, that's not what me. I'm saying. I mean, <laughs> that, that's just silly. But, like, yeah, I, I'm with you, Nick. I, you know, th- look, I'm going to watch college football regardless of what they do with the playoff. It's still, uh, you know, one of the best sports out there. It's still so much fun to watch. You know, you have, even if the teams suck, if there's a rival, uh, that's a fun game to watch. It's a rivalry game, right? And it doesn't have to, nothing has to be on the line in those games. You, you think that if Michigan and Ohio state are playing at the end of the year, both knowing that they're not going to make the tournament, that they're both going to be like, well, neither one of us are going to make the tournament. So who cares? No, they're going to come into or that game with passion are guaranteed, you know, basically guaranteed. Both are guaranteed one's undefeated. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes. 
I, I, I agree with you. I think that that wouldn't dilute that particular game. Sure. Right. And in Xavier, if there was only a way to, uh, you know, uh, if there's only a way to figure out who's better between the best teams and the most deserving, uh, maybe you could sell it on the field with an expanded playoff and have them both get in, you know, and then see where, where we stand. So I, I don't know. I've always been for expanding the playoff ever since I read death of the BCS by Dan Wetzel and Jeff pass. And, um, you know, j just a, a great book to, you know, crush the BCS. Let's get a, a bigger tournament. You know, they talk about, uh, well, the kids can't take off time for, for the tournament, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Well, they do for, uh, March madness, right. Um, you know, uh, you talk about expanded injuries. We're getting NIL deals now. So these guys are getting money. You know, th there's just so much, there's so much that, that people want to put in front of this as a barrier or a leap or whatever. It's not that hard. And money is the the cure all. The more games you have, the more money you're going to make. All that stuff. So, it, that's my quick opinion, Xavier. Uh, what is your thought on expanding the playoff? Is it something you're for? Do you like what we currently have? Do you like to go back for the regular season? What's your uh, thought process on the playoff? I don't think it's perfect just yet, but I am not for twelve. I, I never will be for twelve. I think the more you dilute it, the, the, the higher the number goes, the more it's diluted. Um, and it's since I think you can look at the MLB during the bubble by adding in random teams, by adding in more teams that year, diluted it a bit. Uh, I mean, I don't think anybody cared that the Marlins won a playoff series or a playoff game that year that wasn't a Marlins fan. Um, I think the, you know, this year's NFL playoffs was a little bit diluted that first weekend, I think was a little, it had, uh, had some, Come I mean, it, it did. I mean, who cares about a seventh seed? Like, did, did, uh, this like, is the best postseason we've ever had. You're gonna say it's diluted because yeah, I do. I, do. Seed? You know, I, I, I genuinely, I think we have. I think it's diluted, and I think when you get to 12 teams, I don't want to see a nine and three Florida play in in a playoff. I don't. I, I think that that doesn't. I think you can find a middle ground. I don't think four is the right number. I think six gives you an opportunity to have the P5 and possibly a G5 program. That's where I've thought about it. That's why I think it's a perfect number because I think at that point you get the opportunity to have more of a G5 team. Nine times out of 10, when you get one of the best G5 programs, they always end up in five or six. So I think that that's a perfect number for them to, you know, have a better chance of getting in year in and year out. Um, and if and in a perfect world, you, you would have the five power five teams and then a G5 qualifier that also makes it in as well. Uh, I think that that's the way that it should go. In my opinion, I think, like I said, I think when you start getting past the top 10, we start boarding lining like Kansas State at 10 and 2. And I'm good. I'm 100% okay with not having to watch Iowa this year play in a, play in a playoff game. I'll be completely honest with you, right? Like, and the biggest reason for me as to why you don't, you know, in my opinion, add in the extra the 12 teams is because nine times out of 10, we've seen to an extent one of the top 12 teams play each other already like and not just play each other in a conference title game but like week five week nine and nine times out of ten it's it's ugly like for instance this year we would have seen i think this year is maybe a misnomer where you had a lot of get like a lot of teams already played but in the case of Ole Miss playing Alabama again I'm good didn't need that didn't want that I'm okay with that Michigan State having to play Michigan again 
I would have loved to see that. But Michigan State having to play Ohio State again, that was an absolute drubbing. Do I want to see my Ohio State possibly put up 57 points again? I'm good. Like, I just think those contests for me at some point, yes, I love the idea of more college football, but we already have bowl season. Like, it's, allow well, these kids to play for the bowls. I have one question well, because – see, on that note – Go ahead. Well, Go ahead. on on that note of bowl season, I know I know that there are some uh, you know some folks out there who are arguing against uh, playoff expansion, saying, "Hey, we're seeing all these bowl opt outs now. If more teams are you know in the hunt, there's there's an argument to be made that we might see fewer of those opt outs and kind of keep you know." And and I'm I I don't. Uh, I mean, would I love to see guys play? Sure, but I don't. I don't uh, begrudge any player for for opting out of a bowl game. Uh, it is just an exhibition. Sure, I love watch it, and yeah, it means something to to the guys who are out there for sure. But um, you know, so that's that's maybe a small argument. I, I I would say maybe you see if Michigan State, using your example, was in. I mean, that Michigan State team. You know, thinking back to, to two years ago, right, when Dan Mullen said his Florida team that got blown out by Oklahoma, like, oh, this, this is a different team. Well, in a way, the Michigan State team was a different team uh, with, a with you know, a handful of guys that, that weren't uh, playing in, in the game and uh, had already, you know, moved on to their next, uh, you know, looking ahead to, to the NFL draft and whatnot. Um, but then on, you know, uh, one other small point real quick is, is uh, there are some folks out there I know who, who will say if we expand the playoff in a way, and I said, you know, best versus most deserving in a way, there's a, there's a, uh, an argument that the, you know, staying at four actually will help the most deserving because, you know, perhaps if there's an undefeated Clemson team from, you know, the last several years until uh, 2021, that team in a way runs through its schedule has, you know, been deserving by, by that measure of staying undefeated and, and, you know, winning the conference title or whatever, but that maybe a team like that or, or in some future, you know, PAC 12 team does a similar thing or big 12 team, what have you, that that team is at greater risk of not, you know, getting an opportunity to get to a semifinal or, or a national championship game. If there are, you know, uh, four sec teams and three big 10 teams, and they just get, you know, kind of, kind of knock all the other uh, conferences out. And then it becomes, you know, a, a all sec semifinal or, or, you know, half and half sec big 10 or something. And that's just an argument I've seen made. So I, I know I framed mine as, uh, you know, best and most deserving. And there are some ways where that could kind of change meaning and, and actually expansion could flip that a little bit, but uh, did want to at least just, you know, point that out again, I don't have huge uh, uh, opinions on, on one side or the other, but uh, did want to make that point in case somebody out there was screaming at us uh, <laughs> for, for missing it. There was also someone on this show who talked about how tough it is to beat a team two times in one single season and ended up being right about that in the national championship. I can't remember who that was. Uh, I was also, I was also completely wrong in the Utah, Oregon situation too, (laughs) when they absolutely (laughs) drubbed him for the second straight time. But you were right about Georgia and Alabama. So look, 
I, I think that, look, expanding the playoff for me, just I think it adds it's more games. And by the way, uh, how many of these bowl games is no one watching at all? So why don't we do, if we're going to do an 8 or 12, whatever it is for the, the championship, to try to get some of these kids to not opt out of these bowl games, the bigger names, why don't we make like they do in basketball and NIT a second tournament and take these bowl games that nobody gives a crap about and make, make a secondary, uh, you know, playoff branch with them. Those games become more popular. There's more on the line. There's more money to be made and more people show up to those bowl games all because you have more meaning in them. So I think you, you, you don't necessarily just have to stop this with just the playoff teams. You can also have a secondary playoff too. Look, Xavier, you can argue against that all you want. More people will watch that. There's something on the line. It's not nothing. I think you're still going to get those high-end NFL option guys. They're still going to go, right? If they're in that secondary tournament that I just made up. Uh, they're still going to go. They're still not going to play those games uh, because of injury and stuff. But you put more on the line. They have more meaning, which means they get more viewers, which means everybody makes more money. So, I, I, I don't know. It's not all about money, of course, but uh, I, I, agree. I agree. And I'll, I'll end on this. And then this is the only reason why <clears throat> the NIT exists because the NIT was first. Like, let's like, let's not forget the history of college basketball. The NIT was the major tournament before the NCAA came along, which is why it even existed after <clears throat> the NCAA became the, the more prominent uh, tournament. And so more, in my opinion, the NIT is I don't think anybody genuinely actually cares about the NIT. Matter of fact, if you look at the history of the NIT, the number one, the, the top picks that even are in it, air quote, uh, Ben Simmons back in 2016, LSU decided to pass up the NIT because he wasn't going to play in it. So I think you can, you might even have teams decide not to play in a backup, uh, a backup tournament because Kenny Pickett would have sat out an NIT version of an NCAA play uh, of a, of a secondary uh I don't think you, you might have. Uh, I don't think you're gonna get any coach in college football to say no. We don't, especially if uh, you know you're getting transfers and all that stuff. No, we don't want to see what our backups have uh, in an actual game scenario. So I, I think they would want to play that game. I I think that you know that Ben Simmons thing was weird. So, but but look, I'm not obviously that stuff's not even being yeah, proposed. That's just something right. off the top of my head. So I, I just think well, you, this you, is I guess the one. Uh, you know, I, I say I'm not all that interested, but it is, you know, uh, to me, these hypotheticals pop up when this conversation right. comes up. And th there are so many, uh, you know, sh just offshoots of, of the conversation. It becomes uh, the multiverse. And, you know, this of impacts football, right? this and impacts this and could lead to this. And, and so I understand why people get, uh, you know, worked up Passionate. about it or, or get. It, yeah. And, and, you know, it, it does bring in a lot of hypotheticals or, or, you know, interesting new ideas. Uh, but for me, I guess I'm, I'm part of it is I'm just so, I guess, uh, uh, you know, this time of the year, I, I am, I, my blinders are on and I'm just, I'm going roster to <laughs> roster. I'm going, you know, trying to find a participation chart and there seem like 20% of teams have one. So then I have to cross reference this and that I'm so focused on this that I just don't even put the energy into thinking about other things, but I understand why people who aren't as, uh, you know, uh, digging into all of that, that, that I spend my, you know, waking hours doing in February, <laughs> uh, why they would rather talk about this type of stuff.
Right, right. I mean, like you said, many offshoots, many branches. We could argue about this for an entire show. So let's uh, let, let's move on. And we had some uh, coaching news. I mean, I think the biggest news was that we didn't have news really in Brian Harson actually staying at Auburn. It, it looked like um, he might get canned uh, with all the transfers and the coaches leaving. Um, you know, uh, we'll see what happens with him. Interested to hear your take on Brian Harson staying at Auburn, Nick, but also offensive line coach Eric Wolford left Kentucky for Alabama. And it looks like their offensive coordinator, Liam Cohen, is going to uh, take the Rams uh, job. So looks like he's going to be on the news. And then, like, right before we started recording, uh, another high-level SEC offensive line coach moved uh, Georgia's Matt Luke step down we don't really know why but um he stepped down as well so a little bit of coaching news even though the biggest news is that nothing happened at auburn for harson right right yeah uh so i won personally i you know didn't have a, a huge rooting interest on whether or not harson himself would be fired or or uh stay in the job but we made the decision to, in our last show, go ahead with the first year head coach draft. So I was, uh, you know, kind of hoping, I guess, that that we weren't going to look silly after doing that and then having this huge job open and, and maybe lead to a whole other Nick's uh, just glad round he didn't of have to... coaching carousel. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. Look, look at uh, <laughs> options he could have had in that draft, right? Uh, but I did think it was a little, you know, I did think it was a little weird that – Auburn was so publicly, uh, you know, considering it. And, and I remember, you know, I don't even, I, I don't even remember if there was an official, you know, on university letterhead or something that, you know, we're not going to fire Brian Harson. But when the reports were starting to trickle out that morning, when it became clear that he was going to stay uh, there, you know, it, it was reported that Auburn would be making this announcement. And I thought that would be silly. I mean, you know, yeah, obviously all this stuff is going on, but to publicly come out and say, Oh yeah, we're going to, we're going to keep our head coach and let him coach a second year. Seems to me in some way, you know, uh, worse or drawing more attention to it than, just yeah. Like, you know, no, everything, everything's fine. What are you talking about? We're, you know, we're good. Don't worry. That, that's, I, I Not many teams uh, having a press conference about keeping their current head coach, right? Right, right. And and so that doesn't necessarily, you know, make me think that one, all of this doesn't make me think that Harson's necessarily going to be there for, for much longer. Uh, but it, it was just, you know, it was just a, a, a weird little uh, bit of it for me to actually come out and say that you're going to keep a guy not fire a guy basically but uh the the move for Eric Casso to be the you know new offensive coordinator is an interesting one because he was Harson's offensive coordinator at Boise State uh they come to Auburn and and he's not you know he's not given that same role in fact he wasn't even given uh an on-field role he was a an analyst uh, at the beginning of the year. And then Harson fired the wide receivers coach, you know, just a few weeks into the season and then promote Kusso to wide receivers coach actively, you know, after they fired Bobo uh, were looking for other offensive coordinator hires had actually hired somebody uh, who then ends up leaving 
after you know just a handful of days for for you know whatever reason and then now you know Kiso gets the job that that's kind of if I'm him I'm not necessarily thinking like okay how high am I on your priority list that that's just another interesting piece to it but the the Kentucky portion is is interesting one of the things that we'll do uh you know in in a, a later episode this uh early off season is kind of dig into some of the numbers a little deeper than we have so far on which units improved the most or were the most disappointing fell off the most from 2020 to 2021 Kentucky is you know going to be pretty high on that list of uh, offenses that improved the most. They were 70th in offensive team performance in 2020. They were up to 15th last year. And a big part of that was, uh, you know, for, for a while, Kentucky was solid, but not, you know, exciting in any way and really leaned heavily on the running game. And, you know, last year they, they certainly had a, a better running offense than they did a passing offense, but the passing offense, you know, with Wondell Robinson coming in with Will Levis coming in uh, and with Cohen, they made, they made some gains and, you know, Kentucky's offensive line has consistently been a very, very solid unit last year. They ranked fourth in our offensive line performance ratings. Uh, it was overall a, just a really, really good uh, group. They ranked 11th in the position strength rating. So top four in the SEC. And that's, you know, based a lot of it on production because though they recruit really quite well from just a raw talent standpoint, they're, you know, top 25, top 30 in a lot of categories, but they had, you know, succeeded so much and were a, a pretty experienced unit as well. And played so well that they had jumped up into, you know, consistently being uh, or legitimately being a top 10 offensive line in the country. So, you know, you lose, you know, a, a big part of that in the offensive line coach. Uh, anytime you're you know, plucked off a, a staff by Nick Saban, that's a pretty good uh, pretty good indicator that that you're one of the best in the business. So Eric Wolford going to Alabama. That's going to be a loss. And then now, you know, we don't know who the new offensive coordinator will be, assuming uh, Cohen officially does leave for the Rams, uh, you know, in the next day or two. It's going to be it's going to be potentially a, a new look uh, offense there at Kentucky. And so this is a unit that seemed to take a, a step forward in a couple of different ways and was really, really impressive, especially in the offensive line. And I'm, you know, I'm just curious uh, how much of an impact that will uh, you know, make as we look ahead to 2022. Uh, Xavier, your thoughts on uh, the, the coaching movement here, particularly uh, Harson. What, what do you think of him staying at Auburn? I think it was weird. I thought the whole situation was very weird. And, and I think the last two years, you really got to look at Auburn and as far as like what they've been doing and as far as their head coach is concerned, they just have not been the example of like continuity. Uh, yeah. by any means. I mean, obviously, first with the the Malzahn situation last year, and then obviously this year with the Harson situation, you know, it's just like, it's a really, I won't say it's a toxic place to go at the moment, but it's definitely not somewhere I'm like, yeah, they got you back a thousand percent over there. Uh, you know, um, I don't know if anybody, you know, obviously, if you follow me on Twitter, you would see that last Friday or the, the Friday that they announced, or the Thursday before they announced that he was going to be uh, their head coach still. There was like a, a an Auburn space that had like a like twelve hundred fans in it that yeah, was that was uh, titled Harson's Out, 
and hashtag yay. Like everybody thought he was gone. Yeah. Like everybody thought he was out. Like every, like there was That's a lot. So there was a weird. lot of people. Yeah. Like, How does that get so misconstrued? I mean, you know. I don't know. Yeah. I have okay. no clue because, you know, and when these spaces, like, yeah, you somebody would probably say to you, like, oh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's just a bunch of, like, uh, fans in there. No, there were, like, accredited journalists, like, in, uh, in and amongst, like, the people who were in there. Like, there was uh, some people from, like, uh, Alabama.com that were in the, in there, like, uh, listening to, like, this whole, like, uh, uh, this community <laughs> talk about it and everything. And uh, and I'm like, okay. Probably Carson's eating gone. their popcorn while they're, uh, you right. know, you know like, the I'm, downfall of the <laughs> rival. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like I'm, I'm listening to this. I'm like, okay, Harson's gone. And I wake up Friday morning and they're like, nah, Harson's here. He's our guy. And I'm just like, what is, what is going on at this university? <laughs> like part of me. Yeah. Feels okay. Like so I understand now why it's because they announced that there was going to be a press conference the following day. And then the press conference, like Nick said, was to say we are keeping Brian Harson, which right. is just a strange process, <laughs> right? Very, very much. Uh, and to do so when, like, you know, obviously, you know, you you look at, and I was we talked about this a little bit, but I was like, you know, if they really let go Harson here, you, you're really going for the bottom of the barrel here, and your choices, and right here before spring practice. So, like, do you feel like they, you know, they they felt almost like they had to keep Harson because otherwise, they literally have like. No situation where they could, especially with Kevin Steele deciding to go off and, and go to Miami. Uh, so, like, you really felt like maybe they just were like, well, hey, we can't really cut our losses here because we ain't got nobody else. Like, you know, like this is really <laughs> just a situation at hand. Like, you know, so we're hamstrung to this guy for a season. You know, uh, I would, I can't wait to see kind of how the season goes for them because if Harson has, like, a bad year, do we think of him almost as, like, like, a lame duck head coach where it's like, hey, bro. You're done after the season. Like it's just all really weird going down there at the planes. They got to figure something out. Uh, and hey, I mean, at least their basketball team's pretty good. You know, <laughs> at least at least at least they can hold their head on that. You know, uh, basketball team looking real good. They even I knew the they were good at basketball. So. You know, the funniest part is they extended <laughs> they extended their basketball team's head coach. I think in the same week that they were that they announced Harson being their head coach too. So I mean, hey, they've got some continuity somewhere. It's just not on the football field right now. Yeah, I mean, everything functioning properly at Auburn, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, any thoughts on uh, the other coaching stuff? The um, you know Nick touched on uh, Eric Wolford leaving for Bama and uh, Georgia's um, O line coach Matt Luke stepping down. You have any thoughts on those, Javier? Yeah, I think Matt Luke stepping down from Georgia is a weird situation. Um, he's as excellent of a recruiter he has he been. The the Georgia offensive line hasn't been great since he got there. Um, now I, I think that he's brought in some really you know top tier talent, but there has definitely been some I think some uh, some underwhelming underwhelming excuse me performances from some of those guys. Um, and, and I saw uh, I talked in a space earlier about kind of that situation and whether or not, you know, Matt Luke stepped down because he just, him and Kirby kind of came to a conclusion like, all right, you know, I've been here for a couple of years and necessarily hasn't panned out on the field, quote unquote. Uh, you know, even though I'm an amazing recruiter and I'm going to miss him as a recruiter. Uh, and I think that, you know, from Georgia fans after losing Sam Pittman, bringing in Matt Luke was like, you know, Oh dang! Like we 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 not we're not taking a step down uh, to an extent, but I do think the the offensive line has taken a little bit of a regression. Nothing crazy, uh, but a little bit of, a little bit of a regression under Matt Luke. Um, and I I I'll love to see where he ends up. I want to see like if this is a if this is a stepping down move for him to move into an OC situation, or if he's going to go play, coach O line somewhere else, or heck maybe he's coaching high school ball as a head coach. Who knows? Uh, but like when guys just like kind of step downs like this, I feel like it's a mutual agreement between him and Kirby uh, to do so. 
Uh, and I'm, it's, I'm also excited to see who Kirby brings in because we've had a lot of, uh, you know, as, as Nick has in the notes, we've had we've had some movement here uh, when it's when it's come to our, you know, our position groups. And, and this is the third guy that we've had to uh, had to, to bring in. So I'm excited to see who he brings in as an O-line guy. Uh, this late in the, this late in the uh, in the year, uh, well, late in the year, um, as we're in as the we're process, into the right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, I understand what you're saying. Uh, I, I will argue with you a little bit Xavier, about the, the right. unit taking a step back, and I'm not saying our numbers are perfect. We, we certainly uh, have some some uh, areas that that could certainly use some improvement, but uh, in our O line performance ratings. Uh, Georgia was number mm-hmm. two last year. So in a lot of the you know, advanced statistical numbers that we pull out that uh, we think can be attributed to the offensive line play more than others, Georgia yeah. performed really you know, uh, pretty well. It, it will be interesting. I'm sure we will get more details. This literally happened, I mean, within the hour before we started recording. So uh, we'll probably learn more. And maybe by the time you're listening to this, you might uh, hear some more details. But I agree. It's it's it is a little weird that he's you know, everything is framed as, oh, it's reported that he resigned. So, you know, first thought is if he had another for me, first thought is, you know, if he had another job lined up he wouldn't just resign. It would be, Oh, you know, so-and-so is going to, uh, is targeting Matt Luke for offensive coordinator job or, or whatever. Um, you know, then, and I don't want to speculate that I don't have any reason to think this, but you, you know, sometimes when a guy just resigns out of nowhere unexpectedly, you think, okay, is there some off the field thing that, that is a result? Uh, but you bring up a good point that, Hey, maybe just for whatever reason, you know, between Luke and, and smart, there just maybe wasn't, weren't on the same page. Maybe there's something, something going on where it just wasn't really a a fit anymore. Sometimes you just need to change the scenery. Uh, So it will be interesting to hear, assuming we get some more details in the the coming days, kind of what is, uh, what is, is behind this. Um, I, I think sort of how it came out, it, 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 yeah, he could certainly end up in a in another job, but it it seems a little weird that it's because he was targeted by someone else. So uh, if it's you know not some other, um, if it's not some you know they're just not getting along, not seeing eye to eye, whatever. Uh, I, I you know hope everything's okay with with Matt right and, and anything yeah, going um, behind, behind the scenes. Hopefully, there's not anything driving behind. He released a statement uh, in the last hour. Deciding, uh, deciding he wanted to step down away from coaching to shift his focus to spending more time with his family. Um, mm-hmm. Now, Matt Luke does have, I think, three or four kids, so I wouldn't be surprised if he was doing so to kind of just spend more time with them. Uh, he cites uh, being, you know, coaching over the last twenty-three years, and you know, he wants to spend more time with his sons, Harrison and Cooper, as well as his entire family. So he has two kids, excuse me. Uh, but you know, I, I think that. Maybe this is it sounds more like a mini retirement is what he is what he's walking into. Um, Kirby Smart in his letter uh, talks about like he's saying he's stepping he's stepping away from college football. So I don't think that he's walking into another job at any point here soon. So it might be one of those situations where Matt Lucas is just like, hey, I want a national title. Let's go out, you know, in a blaze of glory. I'm going to go ahead and, and, and spend some time, uh, you know, with my kids and, and, you know, I'll come back more refreshed or, you know, 
you know, will wait till, you know, they are of age where I feel like I can come back, you know, wait for them to go to college or, or whatever. I mean, this is pretty still a, a pretty young guy in, in the grand scheme of things. He's only 45 years of age. He can still take off 10 years and come back and still be one of the, you know, still be a head coach at a, at a, at a program in college football or an O-line coach if that's where he decides to come back and be. So it looks like he's just stepping down to spend more time with his family uh, ultimately. Now, the yeah, biggest I just, thing I just caught out. Uh, sorry that you uh, I, I just found it after you, you said he released mm-hmm. a statement. And because uh, the first thing you said, like, oh, it's, you know, want to spend more time with my family. Unfortunately, my first reaction is a little you know, skeptical on that. But Seth Emerson of The Athletic, his his tweet, Matt Luke's statement on stepping down as Georgia line coach, citing family reasons and then in parentheses, which I'm told are absolutely legit. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So hopefully you know I, yeah. I i i trust yeah no no Emerson's assessment okay so there's a legitimate yeah okay all right you you convinced me at least for now so hopefully <laughs> hopefully uh all is well um and the biggest news i think that happened uh this week in terms of players was uh you know just moving here to the transfer portal which is always rocking i mean the the transfer portal is like chick-fil-a like you know if it's open, the line is long, it's moving, there's always people there. That's what the transfer portal is, right? So um, it's still open, and we saw uh, ASU quarterback Jaden Daniels enter the transfer portal this week, and then there was a video, of course, his teammates uh, trashing his locker, talking smack about him, all that stuff, uh, which was interesting. And it was just surprising to see Daniels move, uh, but then we had a couple other guys too: TCU defensive end Kari Coleman, UCLA linebacker uh, Mitchell Aguide, uh, UCF defensive tackle Cam Goody, uh, UCLA wide receiver uh, Chase Costa, who Coda, uh, excuse me, who committed to Oregon, uh, Western Kentucky offensive lineman Cole Spencer, and Georgia Tech defensive end uh, Jordan Dominic and cornerback Wesley Walker all put in the transfer portal. And then, um, you know, Nick, you just made this uh, little note here uh, that. Brandon Marcello of 247 Sports published numbers Monday uh, examining the transfer portal net ratings of the P5 teams, and he found that Ole Miss, South Carolina, Rutgers, Arizona, Arkansas improved most on that margin, which is just interesting that now we are breaking down things into, because we had a little confusion last year with the recruiting classes. Like, are the recruiting classes, uh, including the transfer portal, um, you know, as far as because you are recruiting those players. So are they counted in your recruiting class or is it a separate thing? Seems now that uh, they are being separated. I can't really remember what happened in that process. I know, Xavier, you're closer to that than anybody. But, uh, Nick, your thoughts on uh, Daniels moving in some of these other uh, transfer guys uh, going into the portal? Well, the the Daniels news is is certainly – the most impactful, the same, uh, excuse me, most impactful thing that we've seen in a few weeks. I mean, the the transfer portal was, uh, I mean, there were dozens, hundreds of guys moving, uh, you know, each week it seemed after the season or, or after the regular season, during the bowl season, all that. And it was pretty constant for a while. And then, you know, in late uh, January in early February, it has slowed down a bit. I'm I'm able to feel like I'm, uh, you know, if I step away from Twitter for an hour, I'm not going to have missed half a dozen guys jumping in that, that I need to make immediate uh, changes in our, our team profiles for. But it seems like, you know, the the list that you mentioned, maybe not all household names like Daniels, but 
Uh, we are seeing maybe some more strategic moves where guys who, you know, do have the ability to make an impact, maybe they're a little more deliberate in their decision-making. I mean, uh, you know, Agude is one of those uh, where he's been pretty impressive the last couple of years as, as sort of a, you know, relatively unheralded junior college signee a couple of, of uh, cycles ago, comes in, makes an impact, you know, has some ability as a linebacker, as an edge player uh, that for whatever reason, we don't know, or, or I haven't seen, you know, decided that UCLA is not where he wants to be right now. Maybe there's a better fit for him somewhere, but that's, you know, he's the type of player who is going to make an impact somewhere. Uh, you know, Jordan Dominic was a really interesting name when he popped up uh, at Georgia tech, not only because there has been a relatively steady stream at Georgia Tech. It's not just, you know, Jameer Gibbs, who was certainly a, a major impact player, uh, but they are losing a lot of depth that they can't really, you know, afford to lose right now. And then Dominic has been really quite productive. And, and so he's another, you know, edge rusher type player who, uh, you know, will have an opportunity to make an impact at a relatively high level, I would expect. Um, but, you know, Cam Good, uh, we, we've seen a lot of players – uh, dropped down from, you know, power five sign at UCF uh, in the last couple of years since Gus Malzahn has, has been there. And this, at least at first glance, looks like maybe somebody moving in the other direction because he's been a multi-year starter, has been productive, has uh, an apparent NFL future, maybe wants to play at the power five level. You know, it'll be interesting to see where he lands. Similarly for Cole Spencer, a guy who's played, you know, multi-multi-year starter, at Western Kentucky, and they really, you know, were starting to get things rolling last year with the, um, you know, new offense kind of revolutionized. I mean, they will, they will certainly be uh, number one on that most improved offense, you know, list once we we get that put together and, and discuss it. And Spencer, you know, he wasn't uh, throwing it or, or catching it, but he was certainly a, a part of that. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, somebody who's experienced as he is and, and was part of a uh, incredibly productive offense where he will land. Kari Coleman is, I know, a, a Louisiana native. There are some early thought that LSU, you know, he would be a pretty natural fit. They have been rebuilding their defense under Brian Kelly and, and that new staff, but also the you know coach who recruited him to TCU, Gary Patterson, is now in an off-the-field role at Texas, and, and Texas was the second team that I saw uh, mentioned. And he's a guy who had you know a freshman All-American type season in 2020. So uh, there are maybe fewer names, but there are some really interesting ones. Uh, Daniels being a bit of a surprise, but we talked you know when we were talking about Harson, we were. Of course, talking about all the the turnover that they've had at Arizona State and all the yeah. you know, kind of signs that are pointing toward maybe uh, there's more to come there and and there's going to be some uh, you know not necessarily a, a great situation. So I you know wasn't shocked that Jaden Daniels entered the transfer portal. It was uh, you know did did raise an eyebrow <laughs> uh, seeing that video and sort of how his teammates were reacting because you know we don't always get a, a shot at that and I think it's since been uh deleted but um you know not necessarily uh after seeing that you wouldn't expect maybe him to be the uh the player that would say you know what actually i'm i uh want to come back now to arizona state that that video coming out certainly made it made it seem like he's gone and so where is he going to land i mean he's been a starter 
basically since day one of his uh, freshman year. So you would think he's got, you know, an opportunity to, to, to uh, land somewhere. And, and I, my first thought, I know he's from California. He's been in Arizona. You think out West, there's not a whole lot of openings that come to mind immediately. That would be uh, the, the type that seems like a natural fit as in, conference uh you know title contending type team um so i don't know it's it's going to be really interesting to see where he lands will he you know go somewhere completely unexpected in the big 10 or or the big 12 or or you know maybe there's even a a a spot in the sec or something maybe he lands somewhere does sort of a, a spencer rattler who it sounds like was pretty close to uh, heading to Arizona State before Jane Daniels announced he was going to leave. You know, maybe you go to a place like South Carolina, not necessarily uh, that you think of as being that uh, title contending type team. But once you get a really experienced, really talented quarterback in the mix and start to, you know, fit some other interesting pieces around him, maybe, you know, maybe you can catch lightning in a bottle and, and uh, you know, would Missouri be a fit, for example? I don't know. Uh, but it's it's that I'm going to be really interested to see where Daniels lands because because there is not an immediate you know oh that's that's a no brainer landing spot for him it, I I feel like I'm going to be surprised wherever uh, he does end up maybe because it's you know dropping down so to speak to a, a program of of sort of a, a lesser uh, you know whether it's conference status or or sort of just prestige wise just sort of because of the, the, you know, outstanding, uh, you know, everything that's going on with Arizona state and, and sort of the timing of it, I think I might be surprised or maybe it'll be surprised because, you know, oh, that's weird. I never would have thought Jaden Daniels would end up at Iowa. That's right. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's so no rumors right now. Either, right, are there? Right. Not that yeah. I've seen. I haven't of course, seen I've been, either. I've been digging into, you know, I'm trying to find participation <laughs> charts. So I don't know. <laughs> uh, Xavier, your, your thoughts on uh, the transfer portal and, and Jane Daniels in particular. Uh, I mean, just looked weird. Like, and also his teammates trash him and stuff. And, you know, like I said, I got a buddy whose stepson is on the team. So uh, he, I, I asked him if he was surprised. He said, I was a little surprised. But after thinking about it, I don't think I should have been as surprised as I was. Was pretty much his reaction. Mm-hmm. So, uh, your your thoughts on uh, Daniel's potentially moving in? Is there a spot where you would love to see him? Oh or? yeah, yeah. No? Okay. Absolutely. All right, let's oh, hear. Yeah. It. Um, I'll get to that in just a second. Let's get the let's get the drum rolls going. Okay. Uh, but <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm gonna start off first, kind of with the the mass exodus that's happening in Georgia Tech. You uh, got Jeff Darren Collins. Granger at Georgia State, Xavier. Can he can he beat out Granger? I don't. I'm not sure. That didn't really work. It's a little slow on the on the I mean, I would I would love to see Jaden Daniels versus Spencer Rattler week one. That'd be fun. Uh, but no, uh, I, I, the mass exodus from Georgia Tech right now has got to be a little concerning for for Georgia Tech fans um, and Jeff Collins in particular. I, I know that the AD at the beginning of the year or at the at the beginning of the offseason said that uh, you know there was a a boat of confidence that Jeff Collins is our guy for one more season. Um, you sure about that? I know um, yeah, I'm, Georgia Tech is a threat to Clemson, by the way. Just want to put that uh, yeah, out yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From a straight comment I made, maybe a little got too excited two years ago. 
I don't, I don't see that as being an issue. Uh, you also, you know, look, we also kind of took that and ran with it where yeah, we it's did. not exactly what you were saying, you know, yeah, but, uh, but uh, to, to your credit. Of well, course. I definitely don't <laughs> yeah. anymore. We'll say. Yeah. Okay. Well, just to, <laughs> just nail, nail that hammer all the way down. Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, yeah, we get it. Um, but no, I, I think that's got to be concerning for, for, for that institution at the moment that like literally everybody's like I'm, I'm out man like i just don't believe in the vision that he's talking about that he's preaching uh you know and this is a guy that came into georgia tech and, and tried to get everybody to buy in really quickly you know um he, and that was kind of what georgia tech fans and i think even their their boosters would say they fell in love with very early on was his you know his commitment to atlanta and it just hasn't panned out like people thought it would you know, I remember the first offseason, you know, and he was doing like this, uh, the area code for Atlanta is the 404. And he was like doing this, like this whole like hashtag 404 situation. And like everybody was like, yeah, if Georgia start, Georgia Tech starts getting all the Metro Atlanta kids, the University of Georgia better watch out. And I was just like, guys, it's one offseason. Let's wait <laughs> to see if we can, you know, it took Paul Johnson 20 years to make that team a consistent team. Let's hold on. Let's let's wait just a second. Um, you know, and it just hasn't panned out like we thought it would, or like people had, had really expected it to be. Um, you know, jokingly at Georgia State now we say we're the second best team in, in the state of Georgia. Uh, but you know, uh, it, it just hasn't just hasn't panned out for the James Daniels situation. I'm actually kind of surprised we don't see this more often. Like I'm genuinely surprised we didn't like a, a video didn't leak from Oklahoma of like them setting Spencer Rattler's like locker ablaze. Like when you hear about some of the things that come out of the, like the locker rooms from, from some of the guys who transfer, you know, and, and you hear about kind of how they were with their teammates. Sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm surprised that this is like one of the first, like, you know, major transfer videos where we see a, a, a group of guys go like, this guy sucked. We're going to, we, we hate, we don't like this guy, like something like anything. Like this is one of the, really the, the first ones that are indicative of something of that nature. And like I said, I'm shocked that we haven't seen it from like other players that clearly, you know, ha ha or like there was like, you know, serious rumors that the rest of the locker room just didn't like this guy that when they transferred, they weren't like, we're going to school this guy's locker. Yeah. Who cares? Like this guy's <laughs> stuck. Who, who, who cares if he transferred out? Right. Like, and so for it to be Jane Daniels and especially with what you were saying, Scott, about the situation that's going on at ASU, it was like, hmm, okay. You know, I know you hate the saying, but, Smoke, there's fire. Uh, you know, uh, there, there's, you know, some things here. And to his perfect landing spot's Wisconsin. I, I mean, he would go to Wisconsin right now and be the best and give them a uh, dynamicism that they haven't had. For, and more importantly, what makes him in Wisconsin such a great fit is the fact that as a runner, I think it gives them more dynamicism in that op in that part of the field, which is something that they can do from day one. Now, Jaden Daniels as a passer still has to grow into it a little bit. He's still, uh, in my opinion, is, is a little too raw as far as reading the defense is concerned. But you can only imagine what with Wisconsin, as well as they like to run the football already, having a mobile quarterback. And hell, when Grant Mertz did actually look good this year, he was using his legs a lot of the times to 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 give himself more time and, and being at least the idea of a running threat. I'm not going to call Grant Mertz mobile by any means, but the idea of a running threat opened up other parts of their run game. And you talk about a defense that year in and year out consistently uh, puts out a top 25 defense. This is a team that if they were able to get a quarterback that 
didn't completely suck against big teams. I'm sorry, Graham Mertz. I, I loved you at one point, man. <laughs> but you just have not. Just have, my bold, my confidence for you has just been washed away uh, from performance after performance. But, you know, you get a team in Wisconsin that, you know, was in the Caleb Williams sweepstakes, quote unquote, you know, at, at one point. Here's another West Coast. Here's a kid who's coming from the West Coast who I think needs it to go to a team and would hugely benefit from a team that could compete right now. Jaden Daniels needs, and this is why when, when Nick was talking about where he'd go, where he'd go, he has to be thinking about going to the Big Ten, the SEC, or the Big 12. He's got to be thinking about a conference that can show off his exploits in the best fashion on national television because, if you know, we watch them. You know, Scott just moved over from that side of the country, but Pac-12 ball sometimes falls on deaf ears because at the end of the day, if you're in the it's East late. Coast, staying up till 10, 11 o'clock to watch ASU Cal is just not a riveting time for some people. It's just, I understand. Like, Unless you're Nick, then you're you staying know, up to watch Hawaii. Right, you know, so I, I think that he's got to be thinking about a, a place that he can go. You know, the only other place I thought of, at the, like, as I was reading through his bio, immediately was going to Cal and, and, and challenging Chase Garbage for that place. Um, you know, well, so I, good, I well thought, they got mm-hmm. Jake Plummer. So, I mean, that, that was yeah, the thought exactly. I had, too, is, mm-hmm. is trying to think, you know, by this by this point, a lot of the quarterback, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the musical chairs, right? There's it, it's kind of settled out west. Yeah, it is. You know, yeah. at least as far as the the programs that uh, look like okay, they they really need somebody have 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 gotten somebody. You know, and and so uh, I mean, I will I will give you one more team, and we'll talk about them in just a second. Um, and they had a really good recruiting class this year, but who's to say the kid doesn't go to Stanford? I mean, I don't know. Obviously, they don't the take transfers. Side. So this, and they get, <laughs> yeah, and they yeah. have. I mean, they they do. They they do but, have a transfer from Oklahoma coming in, but it's because he was accepted to the graduate school and yeah, you, you know yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. But they, uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it's it's weird. It's an interesting puzzle. And then also, I mean, Tanner McKee was uh, decent uh, there as well, but. Um, yeah, the Wisconsin one's interesting. That that I I, like I liked that you said that. That'd be a pretty good uh, consolation for missing out on on Caleb Williams. Uh, that that that's a, a really intriguing one because yeah, I was struggling also, to think what team is ready to win that is just you know maybe a it also shows away. you that Wisconsin is a team that's looking for it. Because that's the other part, too. It's like, yes, he could be in the transfer portal, yeah. but the team's yeah. got to be looking for a quarterback. And the fact that Wisconsin was a team that was in the conversation, obviously in the in the situation with Caleb Williams, it shows that they are that they do not believe that their quarterback position is set in stone. And at the very least, Jaden Daniels could go there and compete for the starting spot. Um, well, it may and, not be set in stone like Caleb Williams would have been, but, you know. Well, and going back to, you know, we get a, a tiny glimpse into what, one locker room is is like for at least part of one afternoon uh it's hard to, to you know draw too much on that but right, you have to think right. okay well wisconsin they made this pretty public or, or were very publicly linked to going after caleb williams so if there wasn't already uh you know uh, sort of a lack of confidence in Graham Mertz and you have to think, okay, yeah. well, you know, our coaches are trying to uh, get somebody in here to, to take his job. So is he really the guy for us? Uh, I don't know. It's, it's uh, a lot of, a lot going on that, that just sort of a, you know, one, one player uh, making an announcement uh, can, can sort of set off all these different things. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, 
it's uh, a lot of dominoes. And this is kind of what the, the portal brings. It's uh, it's chaos and also a lot to talk about. So, um, you know, there's just a, a lot of moving pieces, like uh, Nick said, with the, you know, when you start talking about, um, you know, the possibilities of expanding the playoffs, you get all these branches. I mean, Jane Daniels, not not knowing where he's going to end up and what not knowing what school. I mean, it's a whole, you know, multiverse. It's what Marvel and DC have been working on for the last couple of years. So uh, but let's talk about um, uh, to end out the show here. Uh, uh, Bill Connolly, who everyone is familiar with, uh, unveiled his first set of returning production calculations and uh, S&P Plus projections for 2022. And uh, I know this was a couple days ago, but we've been gone for uh, whatever, a week and a half now, Nick. So. Uh, what stands out from uh, Bill Connolly's uh, article and in these returning production numbers and the S and P plus numbers? Well, uh, you know, first of all, a lot of the work that we do in in many ways is similar to what Bill Connolly does. He's certainly been uh, an influence for me and and sort of digging in for you know the the uh, he part of what he has done, you know definitely revolutionary in, in college football analytics. When I started digging into, you know, Hey, what are we going to do? CFB winning edge. I wanted to take a lot of his ideas and if possible, you know, find an area to uh, if not improve upon, at least just sort of take a little bit of a different look at. And that's sort of how we got to the point of, of doing uh, player-based ratings. I was like, well, you know, Bill hasn't, hasn't yet drilled down at least that, you know, specifically uh, as far as using, you know, player to player uh, type ratings to, to build his overall projections. But he does of course look, you know, roster to roster player to player when it comes to returning production. And these are a, a big piece. I know there are a lot of, um, you know, uh, folks, whether they're uh, other analytical, uh, you know, site systems, what have you, uh, that put these out publicly, whether they are uh, people, you know, professional gamblers or whatever, who, you know, have their own set of, of uh, private power rankings. A lot of people re rely heavily on Bill's returning production numbers because he does a lot of the, uh, you know, difficult work and drills it Leg down work. into a really easy to digest uh, exactly number and has been proven to you know at least on the extremes if you are one of the top five uh, you know most experienced or, or return the most uh, you know uh, amount of production in the country or the least chances are your record is going to go up or down uh, as a result of that in the middle it's not as much and, and uh, on the extreme ends of recruiting the Alabama's Georgia's you know, the, the number one classes uh, type, you know, end of the spectrum doesn't matter quite as much. But when you're looking at who's going to be, you know, the big bounce back team or uh, sort of that that next up and comer, this can give us a little bit of a, a glimpse into that. And we do a full returning production breakdown for each team. We actually do offer a little more detail than, than what Bill has. Um, but we're a little bit slower because, you know, right now we're, we've just started uh, our previews and those are trickling out a little bit right now. We just put up UConn on uh, Sunday morning and that's our third full preview. But with that, we do uh, attach a, uh, a, a spreadsheet that says, you know, 
every little thing, basically passing production, uh, tackles for loss, pass breakups, uh, you know, offensive line snaps at left tackle. I mean, we, we dig pretty deep into it and we get a lot of the same numbers, but we do uh, calculate some things just, just slightly different, but if you want a little bit of a, a you know, even more into the weeds uh, part of it, you know, we, we do have those uh, with our previews and those will be coming out, you know, much quicker uh, once I get through all this, you know, roster stuff that I'm, that I'm talking about <laughs> uh, before. If you can't tell that's, that's on my mind right now. coming back from uh, a few days away and think, geez, I got all this stuff. I So far behind. I need took to get a couple finished. days off. How can I do it? Right. I know. I know. But the name that jumped out to me, and, and this was because, you know, this time of year, there are a lot of people putting out some, uh, uh, you know, early lists and, and looking at things. I saw one set of power rankings from, I believe it was uh, the Action Network that had NC State as, you know, a top five team. And, and that kind of struck me. I know Bill's S&P Plus numbers, or, or excuse me, SP Plus numbers now, uh, have NC State at, at 15, so not, you know, quite that high. But that was a, a little bit of a surprise. They seem like they're going to be, you know, a, a real hot team. Um, and so they they jumped out. They were 12th in, in his early uh, returning production numbers. Um, you know, TCU is a top 10 team. That's intriguing. Top 25 on both sides of the football. New coaching staff there. A, a team that kind of, uh, you know, had had – gotten a little stale maybe with Gary Patterson having been there for so long and maybe has an opportunity. The talent profile is a little bit better than their record would have indicated last year fell, you know, to some, some unfortunate injuries on the offensive side, actually both sides of the ball. So maybe they're a team, you know, if we're looking ahead to uh, somebody who was undervalued in, in 2021 or, you know, could be undervalued at this point of the, the 2022 season, um, you know, look at a team like DCU based on those returning numbers. So it's, it's interesting to me to, to look at his list before we've got ours completed. Um, same with his power rankings. I mean, we're getting closer and closer. That will be available by uh, April 1st for our, our Patreon supporters. We'll have our full team profiles available then. Uh, but I, I, you know, like to look at, at other smart people who are putting out, you know, good work and have a, an established um, you know, track record of success and kind of anticipating where our uh, projections might differ and, and just sort of, you know, with his returning production numbers, that helps me kind of look at, oh, you know, SMU is a top 20 team in returning production. So they are not going to you know, drop off. They'll still be one of the, you know, top uh, G5 contenders potentially, or, or, you know, Mississippi state, that's kind of an interesting one. Top 10 in defense, top 20 overall, can they make some noise? And, and sort of as I'm getting toward the, the tail end of, of getting all our stuff organized, getting ready to turn the switch over to, to 2022, kind of anticipating what direction our numbers will move. So, you know, I just, I, as any college football fan, like to, to thumb through all of these, uh, and just kind of pick out a team here or there that, that uh, like, oh, wow, that was unexpected, or, oh, wow, I didn't realize it was quite you know, going to be that bad if you scroll down to the very bottom of the returning production. I mean, I think we all knew Nevada, you know, obviously Carson Strong, a lot of you know, guys on that offense turning pro, and then we've been talking about this guy in the transfer portal, that guy in the transfer portal, but 20% of their offense 
uh, of returning production is back. I mean, 27% of the total team to just see how far they are uh, from, from the rest of, of college football. Uh, you know, they in Hawaii being the next closest at six percentage points. Um, wow. They're going to be a completely different team. And we knew that, but to see an actual you know number associated with it is always to me uh, uh, interesting as well. So uh, yeah, not, not too many things to draw away other, or, or to you know pull from this specifically other than, huh, NC state, that's going to be a team to, to keep an eye on, but I just love, you know, thumbing through these and, and seeing how other people, uh, their process, how that stacks up to, to what ours is as well. Uh, yeah. I mean, NC state, very interesting one here. Uh, Xavier, it, when you look at, at these numbers, is there a school that jumps out to you in terms of returning production or uh, like Nick said, at, at maybe they're at the very bottom, not returning, uh, any mm-hmm. production. Uh, what do you think about this list here? Yeah, my, the, the team that jumped out to me immediately was Pittsburgh. Um, when I look at Pitt, obviously everybody's going to think about the fact that they're losing Kenny Pickett this year, but they returned 74% production on both offense and defense, uh, which I think is really good for them. And especially I've been pretty high on Pitt this offseason in particular because of the fact that they're bringing in Keaton Slovis. Uh, I, I don't think you see a, a super drop from their the quarterback play uh, with him coming in. On top of that, you, you add into the fact that they have that their defense, like I said, is returning 75% of their production. I think this is a team that doesn't see this super this amazing drop off. I don't know if they win the ACC again, but I think a, they're, they're definitely a team that can compete um, and, and you know maybe has an opportunity and has a shot to you know win the ACC again coming into this year, uh, depending on the play of Keen Slovis. Uh, but I think that people look at Pitt, you know, and they and they go, okay, they're 31st in returning production, uh, but they're you know they're 13th. In SP plus, why is that the case? I think a large part of it has to do with the fact that you know when you bring in a guy like Keaton Slovis, you're you're bringing in uh, somebody who has played uh, not only a ton of snaps but has been there and done that, played in massive games for USC, won won big games, and I think for him to come in and hit the ground running at Pittsburgh would would make them a very viable option uh, to win the the ACC again this year. Uh, this their team whose schedule also allows for him to grow uh, into his uh, grow this year. Uh, they, they start off with West Virginia, which is going to be a really good game, but it's also going to be a very winnable game for them. Uh, then they have a, a highly touted affair the very next week against Tennessee, which is might, might be the be, you know, might be one of the early season shootouts. That's going to be really, really good. Then you get Western Michigan and Rhode Island, uh, which allows, once again, allows him to grow into the, the game by the time they get to ACC play. Uh, and, you, and you look at the rest of their schedule, and I think that, you know, there's just they just have a really good opportunity. You know, Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, Louisville, UNC, I think that they come into the year, in my opinion, has got to be the favorites um, in the Coastal, if not one of the favorites coming into the Coastal. And I think a large part of that has to be the fact that Keaton Slovis coming in means that you don't see a precipitous drop-off at the quarterback play. I mean, uh, there's a couple things that I think of when I see these numbers. First of all, like, uh, I think these are about two weeks old and uh, 8 million guys have moved in the transfer portal, which is just crazy, you know, and, and uh, it's got to be hard to keep up with for anybody. You, you know, even you, Nick, you're doing it every day. It's got to be uh, insanely difficult to keep up with the transfer portal. Uh, that's the, the first thing. But the second thing and really the broader question that I have for both of you is seeing some of these teams that didn't have a particularly great season in 2021 at the top of the list. Oh, which are we more thinking, all right, we have some continuity coming back, so maybe these teams will get better? Teams like 
You know, Bowling Green is at the very top of the list. UMass is in the top five. Southern Miss is in the top 10. Uh, Kansas is in the top 10 as well. Like, so, so there's some bad teams with returning production. Where do we stand in terms of Nick, you know, Hey, maybe these teams are going to be a little bit better because they have some continuity versus what our guy Xavier says all the time. Well, if you leave garbage out and it stinks, it's just going to stink more the longer you leave it out. So how do we draw that line kind of uh, on returning production? Uh, well, a few things come to mind. Uh, and some of it is is just a little bit of a difference in process. And and we're able to, you know, release a little more detail, I guess. Uh, I think ESPN is a little more tight-lipped than uh, Bill's former employer at, at SB Nation. And, and so he doesn't have quite as much detail behind some of these numbers as, as he did. Uh, I mean, he gives a good explanation. And, and yeah, you know, tackles count. 40% and, and uh, you know, offensive line snaps count uh, this amount and, and whatever, but, you know, seeing the player by player, you know, I, I don't know exactly how some of these numbers come to be and where some of our differences are. You mentioned UMass being number four and yeah, at first glance, okay. You know, UMass was a team that, uh, you know, fell a good bit short of even our very modest expectations last year. Uh, he's got him at 86% top five in the country. I got a, I got a little bit of a different number for UMass. And I think, I think part of it is at the quarterback position, because, you know, maybe if that was one of the first teams he did, it looked like Tyler Lytle was back at, at quarterback had another year of eligibility, but then, you know, right when these numbers were released, his name is not, no longer on the roster. And, and so, you know, I, I, I don't know. You, you mentioned I do it every day. I know he spends a lot of time on it, but I think it's he does it more so in batches and, and will update these in a few months. But as you mentioned, you know, Arizona State, uh, for example, we've been talking about for, for a bit, they were 32nd overall in returning production, according to Bill's numbers, 32nd on offense at 77%. Well, quarterback's a big chunk of that. And with Jaden Daniels gone and, and not looking like he'll be coming back, that that is going to be a much different number. The next version of these Arizona State is going to be uh, a good bit, you know, farther down in the ranking. So it's it is uh, a little bit interesting because I do like you know, like you said some similar calculations and and in in the process of doing it right now. And part of me hates it that you know I'm I'm a good bit slower than Bill, but then a part of it is like, well, you know, hopefully if, if uh, people are patient and, and, you know, will want sort of the detail behind it, we can maybe get hopefully a little bit more accurate number. Um, so anyway, but, uh, you know, in addition to teams like UMass and think, okay, yeah, is there really an opportunity for a team that is so bad? I mean, they were dead last in our uh, end of season power rankings. We did their preview first, is there first expansive article was UMass, right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Is there an opportunity for them? You know, should they be much improved? And part of me says yes, but then part of me is very hesitant to do that. And then there are some teams where, you know, right on, uh, you know, right ahead of UMass, Stanford. There are a few teams, and Stanford is one of them that I'm I'm wrestling with a little bit internally to say, you know what, maybe uh, 
maybe I just adopt a no Stanford policy. Maybe maybe I'm just not going to talk about Stanford. <laughs> Our projections are just you know we'll we'll have them because we'll do all 131. That's how I was trying to figure out betting on Notre Dame this year. Because right. because James Madison is in these uh, both editions of these, and we will have James Madison. Uh, in, in our stuff as well in 2022. But uh, I've, I've thought about that a little bit at times with, you know, Army, Navy, Air Force, because their roster strength numbers are just so uh, different than everybody else, yet they consistently overachieve. And Stanford a few times has been ha- given the opposite problem of, you know, the, the uh, roster numbers look pretty good and returning production numbers this year are going to look really good high number of uh you know snaps coming back high number of yards and tackles and everything coming back but i just don't trust them anymore they've they've burned me a couple of times now so that yeah didn't maybe answer your question but i look at some of the teams and i want to to draw conclusions but it just in some ways gives me more uh you know gives me pause and, and think man stanford Usually at this extreme of, of Bill's returning production list, we can expect a, a better record and all signs you know point toward Stanford should be better. But man, I, I didn't, you know, they didn't give me a lot of reason to be confident that they're going to be able to bounce back. Uh, yeah, they have a good year, game. They beat so. Oregon, you know, uh, and, yeah, and that was yeah. huge for them. But other than that, it was fairly unimpressive. So, so I'm, uh, I'm starting to think about a, you know, if you can't beat them, <laughs> forget about them kind of, kind of thing <laughs> with Stanford, but yeah, I I, I'm see. sure you'll just lack detail on Stanford. Uh, like you lack detail on everything else. I mean, come on, you, you did, did 10,000 words on UMass. I'm, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure you're going to be okay, uh, on Stanford, of course, but Xavier, uh, your thought on, um, you know, some of these teams returning production, but it was bad production last year. Do we like the continuity thought process or is it the garbage stinks the longer it sits out? It all depends on the team, man. You know, it, it genuinely does depend Come on the on, team. Come on, we want yeah. one. No gray areas, obviously. Well, how about, how about I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, because like, Come on. You look at, like for, okay, cool. For, perfect example, right? <laughs> Georgia Southern brings back 92% of an offense that was completely abysmal last season. So like, right. great, fabulous. And it's going to be a completely different scene. Right. Exactly. Clay Helton gets to come right. in and, and coach a bunch of guys up <laughs> who have been coached up. And I think actually, if you're a senior or if you're a super senior, you might have, this might be your third different head coach. Is that possible? I, I think so. If you're a super Ooh. senior on this team, yeah, this is your third head coach. Which I mean, you've gone from I mean, changing option. coordinators is bad enough, but third head coach. But think about how much they've gone from. They've gone from the triple option to a an, a hybrid version to Clay Helton. Nick, you could, wait, 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 Clay Helton you would say would run closer to what more of an air raid type spread. situation or a spread well, type were, situation. He hired an air raid offensive coordinator at USC. I'm not, that's mm-hmm. not his personal background. He is an offensive guy. It's they're going to throw it a lot more than they have. Right. Yeah. So like you've that's gone from sure. running, yeah. you've gone from H backs and, 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 you know, making sure that you pitch off of the, 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 the D end to now. All right, guys, we're going to go four and five wide. We're going to have motion across the line of scrimmage. Like you're, I, I want to see their playbooks. I just want to so, see like the thickness of each playbook. So let me re uh, revise the question. Then is there anybody at the top that was rough last year that you see? All right. There's some uh, returning production coming back. 
maybe we can get a little bit more of an improvement because we have continuity. So, I, I thought you were going to ask me the other way around. Like, is there anybody at the top that I think is still going to be terrible even with their Well, production? I mean, you you can list that too. I mean, I, UMass is still going to be bad. Florida State. I mean, yeah. I, mean I, I think Florida State for me is, is the number one team on this list that at that is going to be playing at a for a P5 team. I think Stanford's a little a bit of a similar question mark. level, right? Yeah, I yeah. think Stanford's a little bit of a question mark for me coming into this year because I think the Pac 12 is, is pretty wide open uh, outside of, uh, of uh, the, the middle of the Pac 12 is wide open, in my opinion. So Stanford could be a relatively good team this year. They could be an eight and four ball club, and I wouldn't be shocked. They also could go, you know, five and seven, and I would be like, all right, cool. Uh, but Florida State for me is a team ranked in the top 15 in returning production. Defense brings, about, brings back 90% of a bad defense, like the, the, and the, their best player is leaving, you know, with Jermaine Johnson entering the draft this year, in my opinion. So I, I think that, you know, Mike Norvell brings back all of these guys, but I'm not, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid on Florida state's returning production coming back whatsoever in the slightest on the flip side of that, to your, to, to your question about returning production being a good thing in continuity, I think it's Ohio state. Then when you look at them, they rank top 25, as far as returning production is concerned, they're 24th. And more impressively for me is going to be, and I think what people aren't necessarily uh, expecting, but what I think is going to be a little shocking to some people is how their offense is not going to miss a beat, in my personal opinion. I, I think when, when you lose all that talent at the receiver position, people kind of expect you to slow down a little bit. But I think Jackson Smith and Jigba, uh, Travion Henderson, CJ Stroud. Um, I mean, oh, he and, had 1,200 yards yeah. in the Rose Bowl. It was insane. Right. How and many I yards think, did, did he have? It was like it was, it 300, was like, right? Yeah, it was ridiculous. Um, hold on. I think I can get it for you. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. Uh, while, I mean, While you're looking, the, yeah. I mean, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Go, go ahead, Nick. Go, no, go ahead. Well, just. Looking at that, and, and I know uh, Bill, you know, always fields questions. He's really good about that, and, and sort of unexpected things when they when they pop out, uh, will address anybody's concern or, or thought on three forty seven. Ohio State, <laughs> wow, Ohio State's offensive SP plus uh, projection forty seven point nine is one of yeah. the highest on record, and five and a half points higher than number two Georgia. I mean that offense. Uh, on paper is just going to be absolutely ridiculous. And to the and point where without Olave it, and Wilson, that's crazy. I know it is, it is, it is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, when you, when you bring I back just, receivers, like they have, I mean, yeah, ju- people still funny great. enough, funny enough, Julian Fleming, who a lot of people will get to know the name next year was thought of to be like the prize of this receiving class. Like right, he was right. thought of, he was going Who's to be the highest receiver recruit. Highest yeah. yes. receiver. Years yeah. and years. Yeah. In yeah. years. And so to not off. have to have that guy, you know, coming back on top of the fact that you've got a, a legacy kid in Marvin Harrison Jr. who we all know what his dad was able to do in the NFL. Uh, as well, probably he had a pretty good road, pretty good bowl as well. Right. As your as your yeah, exactly. As your second or third receiver this year. And you bring back a quarterback that all but maybe one game played lights out. It's just for me when you see them up there, when and more importantly, when you see them returning production at 82% on the defensive side of the ball, I think is even more important for them because really the only question mark for them, I think, going into next year is going to be whether or not their defense is going to be able to, to to match what their offense is doing. I think their offense is somebody who can put up maybe 36 points a game next year, to be perfectly honest with you. And their defense is going to be the one that's like, everybody's like, well, is the defense going to be able to stop anybody? Which, if you know about Zach Harrison and company, 
Yes, but I, I think that it's still uh, that's they're going to be the consistent, the proverbial question mark because everybody's going to sit there and go, well, outside of maybe the receiving core, like I said earlier, they should be a team that offensively just hits the ground running like nothing happened. To be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, and and the strength of the Ohio State defense, I've said before, and you know, again, we're we're still a little bit away from having everything ready to to uh, you know hit calculate on, on 2022, but I'm almost a hundred percent sure Alabama's going to be our number one preseason team. Uh, and they're third in SP plus. That was a little bit of a surprise. Um, and to have Ohio state, you know, we talked about when we were doing our early, early, uh, uh, you know, uh, futures and looking at what, what value there might be on uh, the earliest odds. And we thought, okay, Ohio state's kind of uh, outside that top, you know, two or three. And so maybe there's a little value there because I think Ohio State could be good enough to do it. I didn't expect them to be, you know, number one in, in SP plus. That that certainly was a surprise. But my my last question on this and and Xavier for you being uh you know having such ties to, to the Sun Belt and playing paying so much attention to the Sun Belt. If you scroll all the way to the bottom of these returning production numbers 129 Coastal Carolina, 126 Louisiana. Uh, how how much concern is there, you know, in the Sun Belt that these two teams that have been, uh, you know, going toe to toe as as uh, just you know, <laughs> winning so many games the last two years and, and being consistent top 25 teams out of the Sun Belt, are we going to see a big drop off? And South Carolina, excuse me, Coastal Carolina being 129. There's a significant gap between 126 and 129. There's 12 percentage points yeah. uh, there. So Coastal Carolina is not too far off of that. Nevada and Hawaii is just, you know, the the extreme, extreme end of, of turnover. But, you know, 126, 129 for two teams that won, what, seems like uh, 45 games combined in the yeah. last two years, something like that. Uh, there's going to be a lot of, of new faces yeah, and I think that there's a. And actually, it's funny you mentioned that because I think that there's two completely different reactions to both uh, universities right now. Louisiana feels like they're a complete dumpster fire. Like they are terrified of what the team's gonna look like next season. Uh, I, I am, like I said, I've told you guys a lot of times. I'm pretty locked in with Florida Twitter, and every time a Louisiana kid enters the transfer portal, <laughs> it, everybody from Louisiana, like, complains about it. Just a little bit more. Like, it's funny. If, if you've watched kind of how Louisiana fans have reacted to Billy Napier moving to Florida, by the week, it's almost gotten, like, we don't, like, it was, at first it was like, congratulations, Billy. Like, congratulations. You guys got a great guy, Florida. This is great. This is awesome. Like, now four months into it, they're like, stop stealing our guys. Billy, what are you doing? <laughs> like, Billy, I thought you were one of us. Come on, man. What are you doing? You're killing us. Um, You know, and, and on the flip side, because Grayson McCall is still at Coastal Carolina, it's almost like they don't care. Like they're like, ah, we've got the calming nature of Grayson McCall at quarterback. He can throw to whoever. We can put six mannequins out there, and he'll be able to hit him right in stride. Like it just—it's like this complete opposite point of view when it comes to both teams. Uh, because Coastal Carolina has their quarterback coming back, and Louisiana doesn't, as well as you know, obviously guys like Osiris Torrance who decided to hop into portal and other players, right? Like, but Coastal Carolina. I've heard like relatively no panic out of their camp, which is shocking to me when you look at the returning production of a team that 
you know, as great as their record was last year, there were a couple of games down the stretch where you were like, hey, you know, you guys almost lost to, to South Alabama. You almost lost to Troy. Like, there were some games down the stretch there that were pretty close with your full healthy roster. Now you're coming back in this year and you look at the rest of the Sun Belt and you go, okay, Georgia State, pretty good. So they're returning a lot of their talent. Uh, you know, and, and it's funny from Coastal Carolina's perspective, it's almost like, they were happy to be up there. I'm going to be honest with you. That's kind of what I'm getting a sense of. Like, Coastal Carolina didn't expect to be atop of the Sun Belt this quickly. So, like, they're like, they don't realize how to, like, how to handle it if they do fall because they've almost expected they, – they expected for it to be a slow trickle up the mountain instead of, like, a complete sprint like they made in the last four – in the last three or four years. So, they're almost like, we could take a bad year. Whatever. As long as Grayson McCall gets his numbers, ends up getting drafted so we can get a guy in the, in the NFL. Who cares? Well, at, where they're at Louisiana right now, they are just, I mean, everything coming out of that camp is like, yo, it's going to be a rough year, guys. This is going to be a rough <laughs> year for us, brother. <laughs> well, so, so you made me think of something that didn't occur to me right away. I wonder if there's more panic coming out of Louisiana because it's, it's guys who have – eligibility and are going to be playing somewhere else. I mean, they're losing yeah. guys to LSU. They're losing guys to uh, where, where did, Florida, obviously. Um, people are leaving Louisiana and going to, you know, power five programs, whereas at Coastal Carolina, the guys that they're losing, and there are certainly a lot of them, but they're losing them to the NFL or because they're out of eligibility. There's not any sort of, you know, at, at least in significant numbers, guys that they are losing, that they expected, uh, you know, that they were really going to be depending on. I mean, Enoch McConzo, I believe, uh, at linebacker is the only uh, guy in the transfer portal who was a full-time starter, uh, you know, the last couple of years at at any point. So um, that maybe just just now that I I think about it in a little more uh, in depth, maybe there's just more panic because – Louisiana fans are, are looking at like, hey, our guys are leaving to go play at a you know somewhere else, go play at another school. And Coastal Carolina's like, yeah, our guys are, yeah, their time here is done, and they're they're off to the NFL or they're going to go sell insurance or whatever. It's not that they're losing and and just going to have to watch them uh, put on another school's colors. I guess maybe I don't know. All right. Well, I also look. say hold on before we go. Okay. Uh, okay. Is I do also feel a, a semblance that like Louisiana, for, for for all of their troubles over the last like four or five years, they didn't reach the heights I think that they that of Coastal Carolina. Obviously, Coastal Carolina was ranked in the top in the top twenty five at one point for a good bit, actually, uh, and they were you know they beat BYU in one of yeah. the best G five games ever. Like Louisiana feels in a lot of ways that they weren't able to hit the culmination with which what was a part of maybe a, a golden generation for them you know obviously they got there you know two years ago it's not that far away they got you know they're there i won't say they got their you know bowl game taken away from them or their conference championship taken away from them but remember they canceled the sunbelt uh, conference championship game and gave it to app state because or gave it away because louisiana couldn't play in it like and that was probably the best team that they had and they were they felt like they yeah, should they won it last year they went I, I mean, they won it last year. And won this year. Yeah, you know, but it feels like that they they didn't maximize what they could have been, right? Like mm-hmm. everybody in the Sun Belt, for, and you'll talk to any team, any coach. Every team in the Sun Belt wants to be App State. They want to have like five, like three to six years where they are just the most dominant team in the conference. And if they and because App State doesn't go anywhere, 
but like maybe third place a year a year here and there, you feel like you have to maximize the years which you're really, really, really good. All right, we get it all. I think we when got they it. Lost all. to Texas, so they couldn't have been that good, right? Yeah, they weren't that good. They <laughs> lost to Texas, so uh, Texas is garbage. So, but anyway, uh, I, I think that will wrap it up uh, for us this week. Uh, we still uh, almost got an hour and a half on a light news week, so uh, you know we're bringing it to you every week here, guys. Maybe we'll have one more off week in in the off season, but we we don't we don't take a lot of them. So uh, I hope you guys enjoy that. Remember, you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for myself at CFB Winning Edge for Nick and at Xavier underscore Tristy or I-C-H-E for Xavier. We'll see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.